0: Amen. Let's take our Bible once more and turn to Nehemiah, chapter number 2. So we began a couple of weeks ago to walk our way through this book for the summer. And um, last week, we, well, in the first week we t- discovered in chapter number 1 that Nehemiah is working as the cupbearer under Artaxerxes in the Persian Empire, that he gets word from his homeland and brothers that Jerusalem is in rubbles and that the wall is knocked down and the people are discouraged. By the end of chapter number one, Nehemiah has prayed and fasted. He has brought the sins of himself and the people before the Lord and he is now clean and he was ready to go to work. And last week we talked about chapter number two, that there's a four month period of time between chapter one and chapter two and Nehemiah is patient. He continues to be patient before the Lord and to pray to pray. And to have boldness in his life and to plan what he's going to do and ultimately to live under the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. And so this week we want to pick up and try and read, um, try and talk through verse 9 through 20. And in this chapter speaking about uh, Nehemiah getting all that he has, all the resources that the Lord has for him and then going back to begin the work. And so, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it, rather than reading just all of these verses, 9 through 20, in one succession. I'm just going to read a few verses at a time and make some points as we go today. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, as we read and as we speak through the Scripture, if you are truly a born-again believer here today, uh, this message is for you. And uh, it, it should bring you encouragement and strength and help because it's God's Word, and I think that it's appropriate for the text today. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're skeptical and you've never uh, given Him your full confidence, then this lesson, this sermon, is for you as well too, because ultimately we want to know how it is that we can find redemption and help for our souls even when we are the worst off. And so my prayer is that all of us today would pay close attention to God's Word and that the Lord Himself would speak to us. And so would you bow with me just one more time for a word of prayer? And would you ask the Lord as I pray out loud that God would prepare your heart, whether you're a believer or lost, just pray that the Lord would prepare your heart to receive His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, I now come to You over Your Word. And maybe that would be just a, a misspeaking when I come to you under your Word. And so does every other person in this room. For the Bible that sits in our laps and upon this pulpit is the perfect Word of God. And it is authoritative for our lives. And so we bow before Him in need. Lord, we have given and we have sung, we have prayed, we have fellowshiped with each other, we have done Bible study today, and now, Lord, we come to that sacred moment in service as well, too, where for the past few thousand years, the Word of God has been laid open and proclaimed as truth and infallible and powerful for our lives, and so we bow beneath it and we ask that your spirit would move in our hearts today that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ that we would be convicted convicted over sin that we would repent and turn from that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and that you would show us from your word how to live holy and righteous lives for it is in the name of Christ we pray these things amen So, this uh, sermon today I kind of titled Against the Odds. And uh, let me just maybe give you the first point from verse 9 and verse number 10, and actually verse number 19, but really 9 and 10. Uh, Here's the thing I want you to take away from these verses, and that is that opposition in the Christian life is inevitable, but it is not insurmountable. Opposition in the Christian life is certainly inevitable. But it is not insurmountable. And so we pick up in verse number 9, you'll find that in verse number 8, Nehemiah had received letters. He was going to have all the funding that he needed to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls. He had letters of security in which uh, there was supposed to be deliverance and help there for him. And in verse number 9, he takes off on that journey and it says here, "...then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters." Now the king had sent me with the officers of the army and horsemen. Look at verse number 10 very carefully. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. And then it goes on there in verse 11 down through verse number 18 as he assesses the situation. But look toward the end of this chapter. It is a book ended again. The author is trying to tell you here, Nehemiah is saying what is important to understand in this chapter is that opposition was in our way. Look at verse number 19. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us. And this is what they said. What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the King? My dear friends, I, I want you to understand today as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that when we study the book of Nehemiah, I think from this text, verse 9, 10, and 19, one of the fundamental things you need to understand about the Christian life, or any time you go after serving the Lord, that is that opposition is going to be inevitable. There is going to come these problems. I tell you, there are so many times where somebody that I know and I speak to, they're lost and everything is fine and hunky-dory, everybody at their work, everybody in their family, all their friends think the best of them, and then they'll come to a church they'll hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ they'll turn from their sins to serve the living and the true Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and the next thing you know, everything falls apart People are mad at them. People say things and derogatory toward them. They uh, they put them in a bad light. They uh, always are nitpicking to find where they're not living like Jesus and then point that out to them in their life. And you say, man, I thought when I got saved, I would just walk on cloud nine. Like my feet wouldn't even really hit the ground. I just kind of levitate right along in life. Well, I have news for you. As a believer, if you're going to serve God, follow Jesus and live for him, you need to understand that opposition is coming your way now some of you are saying gee whiz steve you're not the minister of encouragement today but i'd rather be honest with you and i'd rather you walk out of here today knowing the truth than believing a lie the bible says this in the new testament all that live godly in christ jesus shall suffer persecution Jesus himself said this, don't be shocked, I'm giving you the Steve translation, to his disciples, he said, don't be shocked if the world hates me and I'm Jesus, the Son of God. What on earth do you think they're going to think of you? Opposition will come your way in the Christian life. And any time you start serving God and following Him and doing what He wants to do with your own life, with your family, with your friends, in your work, at school, you will find that there will be those that oppose you. But I want you to understand that it is not insurmountable and that God is on our side and God brings deliverance and God will help us. Amen? Let me just take a pause here for a minute and help you with something I was thinking about this week. Uh, some, uh, sometimes some of our young adults and even teenagers sometimes will ask me, Steve, how do I know the will of God for my life? Is, is God going to rain down some sort of lightning bolt on my life or is something going to open up or is there always going to be that moment where I know this is God's will for my life because an audible voice came out of heaven and told me? The answer to that is no. No, and that's errant theology. Are there times in our life where God does speak out and do something special and divine and really confirm in your heart? Yes, that's where you need to be. Of course God does that from time to time. Then I want to encourage every believer in this room that you don't need some sort of divine miracle to know that you're in the will of God. You simply be faithful and go right at what He wants you to do and be obedient every day of your life and God will bring confirmation for what He wants you to do. It's not looking for something extra biblical. It's about learning to be a biblical kind of Christian every day of your life. Uh, Connie and I, we have a a friend, because we record these, uh, it'll remain unnamed. We have a friend, and she is always on this roller coaster, at least was for years, always on this roller coaster looking for the will of God. And she was looking for confirmation. She was praying, should I go to this ministry? Should I go to this ministry? And she was riding down the road and she saw on the back of a license plate at a stoplight the city or or the state of which the job was at. And she said, that's confirmation. That's where Jesus wants me to be. That's just weird. (laughs) And I love her. We love her. Don't, don't live like that. You're gonna hurt yourself in the Christian life. You're gonna go up and down roller coasters if you're constantly looking for some sort of divine sign to drop out of the heavens. What God wants you to do is just be faithful to Him and be obedient and to walk in the wisdom that God has given you. I so said, what, what college do I what college should I go to? What should I do this? And what about a spouse? And what about all of these things? Just be faithful to Jesus and to his word. And walk in the wisdom that He has given you, and He'll show you right along the way. And I want to let me turn that around and say this too. Some people think this. Some people think, I know I'm in the will of God because the Lord smoothed out everything for me. Does He do that at times? Yes. I've experienced that, and so have you as a believer where you think you're trying to do something for the Lord and God just knocks the mountains out of the way and He raises up the valleys and it's smooth as can be and you say, man, Jesus really came through. This is the will of God. But I want to say something to you this this way as well. Sometimes, Sometimes when the way is smooth in what you think is the will of God, the only reason why it's smooth is because you chose to go the wrong way instead of the hard way for Jesus. You chose to be a coward and go your own way that made sense to your own life rather than going over the rocks and hills and hard times with Jesus. Lack of obstacles and lack of opposition are not evidence of the will of God. I hope for somebody in this room that helps you today. There'll be times in your life where you say, man, I I really, I'm trying to live for the Lord. I'm trying to walk with Him and this is what I think is right for my life and I'm going to go with it. Man, man, I just feel like encouraging you. Can I just tell you something? God is not some sort of bearded, white, uh, white bearded old man in heaven that's crotchety and has a lightning bolt in your hand. And as soon as you choose the wrong way in life, bam! There's all the problems. Do you think God's like that? It's not the way that it works, brothers and sisters. You walk out like Nehemiah. You're going to build these walls. You've got letters in your hand. God has spoken to your heart. You've fasted. You've prayed. You have everything. And then all of a sudden you get slapped with verse number 10 and verse number 19. And opposition is in the way. I want you to understand that it might very well be God's will for you to be in the hardest place of your life. Smooth paths are not evidence of God's will. Obedience to Jesus is evidence of God's will. Yes, I mean you are trying to balance that. Yes, there are times in our lives where God does these crazy things and you say, hey, just step back. The Lord did it. But there are a lot of other times in our lives where you go in at something and you say, hey, are you positive, certain? Do you know for sure that that's it? And you put on that baptistic smile and say, oh yeah, that's God's will for my life. And the truth of the matter is, on the inside, you're scared to death. You're not really sure. It's okay. Just be faithful to the Lord. Keep walking with Him. And God will bring confirmation to your life. Isn't that what he does here for Nehemiah in this passage? Nehemiah runs right up against all the trouble. He gets there in a minute. We'll look at the problem. He surveys the land and everything is worse than he expected but God had done a work in his life. God had put something in his heart and he stayed faithful at it. Let me just, I'm going to move on, but I I really feel like I need to pound this home just for a minute. Some of you are thinking, man, I wish you would move on. But hey, you know why I make that kind of statement? You know why we back up the Bible with the wisdom of God in living? It's because if you think that the smooth part of your life was God's will, you'll quit when that part gets rough. You'll quit. Because what you'll begin to tell yourself, you'll manipulate yourself in your mind. And you'll say, hey, now it's getting rough. God's probably wanting me to do this or that. Don't be fooled by the rough places and the smooth places. Let God give that to you in His own will and His own goodness. You be faithful and realize that the opposition is coming, but it is not insurmountable. That God is good and God is on your side and He will take care of you. Amen? Well, it's true whether you believe it or not. (laughs) Let's read verse number 11 down through verse number uh, 16. So I came to Jerusalem... And was there three days. And I rose in the night and a few men with me. And I did not tell anyone what God was putting in my heart or mind, right, to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except for the one which I was riding on. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on the refuse gate inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and its gates which were consumed by fire. And then I passed on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall, and then I entered the valley gate again and returned, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, and the nobles, the officials and the rest that did the work. Let me make a second point for you today. Focus on God when you're tempted to focus on your circumstances. Focus on God when you're tempted to focus solely on your circumstances. Nehemiah has made a trip from where he is there in the Persian Empire all the way to Jerusalem and he's about 1500 miles and so you know when he gets there you know when the first I like verse number 11 and if you like taking naps you'll like verse number 11 as well too. it says there that he got there and he waited three days. I think what happened was he made this fifteen hundred mile trip and he begins to rest. And the uh, support for that would be that Ezra did the same thing in the book of Ezra. When he gets there, he has this long rest there. And I think I want to say first of all, there is something to having a little bit of rest. Even Jesus rested. He told his disciples to rest. And so if you find yourself right in the middle of a hard decision to be made, or right in the middle of all of this turmoil and problems, sometimes the best medicine for you is to rest. Did you know that? That's what the Apostle Paul did. He couldn't what to do. He was listening to the Spirit and people were uh, pulling him in different directions. And so in the book of Acts the Bible says that he just went to sleep and when he woke up the next day God made it clear to him. When we have a tendency to focus on the circumstances, he gets up at night, he goes and surveys all these gates, and in just a minute, he'll tell the honest truth. He'll say, man, this thing is terrible. Everything is wrong. Everything is beat down and destroyed. He gets an assessment of the whole scene, but all the while, what does it say there in verse number 12 and verse number 16? That God was doing a work in his heart, and he wasn't letting that out quite yet. God was working in him. And some of you in here are just like Pastor Steve. You're scared to death at trials, tribulations, and things that need to happen. And you have a tendency to spend so much time with anxiety and frustration looking at your circumstances rather than looking to the God who is above all of your circumstances. Yes, you need to look and assess like He did. He went out at night. He had some friends. He looked it over. He's making a plan. But all the while, God is doing a work in His heart. And my dear friend, I tell you today, whatever the circumstances you are facing, don't forget to look to God. Man, if I have to preach and say amen too, I'm going to get double time, all right? Now listen. Listen. For some of you, that might have been a good place. You know, some of you are struggling and you're looking so deeply into your own discouragement and your own trouble. And you're thinking so hard about how to figure it out and make it right and provide and do all of these things. And I'm not saying that there's not room for planning, but sometimes what you pass off as planning is really just a heightened form of anxiety. And what I'm telling you is, Believers look to God, not just to their circumstances. Is the Lord doing a work in your heart? Pay attention to Him. I look back down at the text. Let me show you this. In verse 17 down to verse number 20 is a very interesting passage. Let me give you this third point. We are on the Lord's side. Don't forget that. Opposition is uh, inevitable, but it's not insurmountable. We are to focus on God in the midst of our situation. But don't ever forget that we are on the Lord's side. And I changed that in my notes. Uh, Earlier this week, I, I kept praying and I kept thinking about how God is on our side. God is on our side. And the Bible does say that greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. But I think the overall teaching of the Scripture is not so much, and I think here's where we fail in our own weakness and our own anxieties and fears, is that we're always looking for God to be on our side. But I think the Scripture would say that we should be on God's side. It's not a matter of having God and hoping that my plans and hoping that my ideas and hoping that my wishes and dreams are that God will get on board with what Steve Tillis is doing. That is not what is at stake here. What we should really do is find out what God wants done and join Him in that work. And when you join the side of God, how can you lose? Are you on God's side? Look back down to the text of what happens when we join the Lord's side. Verse number 17, Then I said to them, and here the first thing is this, when you're on the Lord's side, you can be honest about your life situation. Look what it says here. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. That's a real, honest assessment of life. And you know what I find? I find that Christian after Christian after Christian comes into my office for counseling and even when they're at the worst places of life, they want to make it out as if they are okay. But the truth of the matter is, you're not okay. Things are not perfect. Some of the walls of your life are torn down. There are struggles that you're facing. And if you always just wax over them and sweep them under the rug, if you always just excuse your attitude and your heart and the way that you live, if you do that, you're not being on the Lord's side. But when you finally give up and say, Lord, you're in control. I want to follow you every day of my life. That frees you to be honest and say, you know what? I really have this problem. And I'm tired of lying about it. I'm tired, tired of putting on a fake face. I'm going to be honest with God. I'm going to be honest with others about what is going on in my life. Are you honest with the Lord today? If you're on His side, you can be honest with Him. Let me give you another one here. The next thing he says in verse number 17 is a challenge. Come, Right? Honesty and then the challenge. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I think that so many men come to church and they feel as if Christianity is some sort of pansy religion for the women folk. And the reason why that is is you're so busy busy with your little trifles of life rather than looking at the grand scheme of the world and the cosmic battle between good and evil and realizing that if you don't rise up and be the leaders in this church, you'll fail. The men of this church ought to be the ones leading in reading the Scriptures. In praying, in faithfulness to church, in giving to the work of God, in doing the missions around the world, man up. There's a challenge for you. Mm-hmm. Got stuff in my brain. I'll hold it in there. Mm-hmm. I got one letter go. I get one more. It's coming. Let me look back down here at the text. There's a challenge. It's a challenge. Let me just say this. In your personal life and in your corporate life, don't be the kind of person that sits around and points out all the problems. Be the kind of person that rises up and does something about it. Point made. We'll move on. Look at the verse number 17. That gives him this challenge. And then verse number 18, you'll notice that verse number 18 and 20 should look very, very similar. It's it's almost a repetition of phrases here in these verses. And the whole idea is that once we are honest with God and then we decide to actually embrace the challenge, that all that is left to do is to look to the blessed grace of God and give all the effort of your life. Look at verse number 18 and, and, uh, and 20. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's word which he had spoken to me. Do you notice what comes first? Not the king's word, not the king's letters, not the king's finances, but the hand of the living God was upon us. And then look what it says. Then they said, let us rise up and build. So they put their hand to the good work. And look at verse number 20. So I answered... I answered them. That is, Sanballat and Tobai in verse number 19, those dirty, rotten buzzards that are always trying to get on to God's people. It's in the Hebrew, all right? Look, it says here, the God of heaven. You see it again? The God of heaven will give us success. Just like in verse number 18, the hand of God was upon us. Therefore, in verse number 20, we His servants will arise and build. Just like in verse number 18, they said, let us arise and build. But you have no portion, or no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. Are you on the Lord's side? If you're on the Lord's side, here's what will be the evidence of it. The blessed grace of God overflowing in your life and a heart to work. Are you living for something that's larger than yourself? Have you given yourself over to the work of God the salvation of souls and the discipleship of humankind. Let me pause just for a moment. I'll walk into this. In verse number 10 and verse number 19, you read about these guys, this Sam Ballot and Tobai, and they are bad dudes, and they're after God's people, they're frustrating the work, they're total opposition. All they can do is criticize and pick on God's people. And you know, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I read that, as a believer sometimes, it just makes me want to rise up and say, look, I'm going to turn the other cheek like I, as I'm rearing back to give you a shot to the chops myself. All right? You ever get frustrated at people that are ob- opposing us? Why would you get mad? We just want to see people come to Jesus and live for Him. I want to pause here for a moment. I want to say to everyone in this room, that, but by the grace of God, every human being in here is a Sandalot and a Tobai. The Bible says that we were the enemy of God. The Bible says that that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're in here today and you're a believer, you need to walk out of here today, humble and remembering how sinful your life was, how desperate you were, and how that Jesus came into your life and saved you from your sin. And if it wasn't for the sheer mercy and kindness and love of Jesus, you too would be in that position. Be thankful for it. I also want to extend this to you today, and all of you that are in here, whether you're a member or a visitor, whether it's the first time you've been here or whether you've been here for a long time, I want to remind you that there is an order to salvation, that God works in an orderly way. He begins with a divine act that God has this effectual calling as the Word of God is proclaimed. God begins to work on your heart and after that effectual, of that, that wooing, that calling to us through the Gospel, that that leads into regeneration. You say, what is that biblical term? It simply means when the light bulb goes on in your head. I, I've preached to people and year after year after year after year they've listened to sermon after sermon and the Word of God, they could tell you the Gospel inside and out. And then one day they're listening to the Word of God and the light bulb goes off in their mind they realize they're a sinner and they see the cross that Jesus died for them and you say what happened and you say something happened to me and I realized that I needed Jesus that is the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit and he is working today in this room he is effectually calling his people and he is regenerating those who will believe those are the divine acts of God and that leads into two divine human activities Repentance that leads to life and faith in Christ Jesus. Lest you think that repentance and faith are some sort of work that you do to earn yourself to heaven... The Bible teaches that both repentance from our sin, that turning away from our sin, and faith in Christ are the sheer mercy and gift of God. If you're in here today and in your heart you say, I want to believe on Jesus, when you leave here today you'll not be able to say, I came to Christ on my own. What you'll have to say is I have no idea what happened. I was lost and then a ray of light came into the dungeon and my chains fell off and I arose and followed Him through His sheer mercy and grace. That is the divine side of repentance and faith. But the Bible does place a responsibility upon every person in this room. And today I just want to remind us, I speak so often about putting your faith in Christ. But please hear me. If you don't preach putting faith in Christ coupled with turning from your sin you do not have a real gospel. You say, what is repentance? That's a big Bible word for us. Give me just a second. I see if I can flesh that out. The Bible teaches that repentance, and all that word means for us in a couple languages would be an about face, right? A turn, a 180 degree turn. But the words for that in the New Testament mean a radical change of mind and heart that changes the complete direction of the entire person. And so when you think about what does it mean to repent when the preacher says, repent, the Bible says, Jesus preach, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? It doesn't mean just that we place our faith in Christ, but it means that we come to a place in our life where God's Spirit is at work in you and you come to where you acknowledge that you are a sinner like Sanballat and Tobiah. You stop arguing about how good you are and measuring yourself horizontally with other people, but you measure yourself yourself vertically with Jesus and you realize that you are a deep deep dark sinner good people do not go to heaven bad people go to heaven you acknowledge down in your heart that you are a vile wicked sinner that you are helpless before God that you have blood guiltiness on your hands and you have offended the holiness of God you must acknowledge that Repentance deals with the intellect. Repentance deals with your emotions. The Bible says that there must be godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. Not as the world has sorrow over the things they have done, but a godly sorrow that says we have offended a holy God. I have hurt Him. I have shamed Him. I have brought reproach upon Him. And I am the one that stands desperately in need of the goodness and mercy of God. Salvation is not in your hands for you simply to decide, yes, I'll take Jesus, Jesus or no I want salvation comes to a true heart that in the intellect says I have sinned and in your heart says I have offended Jesus and calls out for mercy The people that are saved are the people that say God there's nothing I can do and I don't know what to do won't you have mercy on me And repentance acknowledges that deep sinfulness it cries out for the heart for mercy and repentance leads us to place our confidence in Jesus Christ alone and if you walk out of here today and you say i'm better than sam ballad and tobiah they were bad people but i'm not but you never have a brokenness over your sin You never have a pleading for mercy for God. And you never look to Jesus alone. You'll die and go into eternal judgment forever. That is the truth of the Word of God. And I just want to ask you this. Have you demonstrated real repentance Sorrow over your sin. Acknowledging who you are. And putting full trust in Christ Jesus. If you do, it will be by the grace of God. And if you don't, you will accept the responsibility for all eternity. For my brothers and sisters that are in this room, I want you to leave here today encouraged that there will be opposition in your life but that it is not insurmountable that God will give you grace and kindness and mercy. Don't always try to defend your integrity with people. Just keep living for Jesus and He will make it all right. The Bible says that Jesus did always those things that please His Father. And all you have to do with your life is please the Lord Jesus Christ. Let all the naysayers say whatever they want. Please Jesus. And in the end, it'll all be made right. View the circumstances of your life right where you are, not just at the bottom line of money, not just at how your children are going to turn out, not just at how much you have in the bank or your job or your relationships. Look to the Lord of the circumstances. Yes, sometimes they are hard, but it is is made much easier when you look to the One who is in complete control. And ask yourself today, Am I on the Lord's side? If you are, you can be honest. If you are, you'll embrace the challenge. And if you are, you'll live in the grace of God and give every effort to work for Him in your daily life and in your church life. My challenge to you today is what will you do with these words? You bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. In just a moment, as we normally do, we will stand and sing a couple of uh, verses of a hymn. To my brothers and sisters in here today that are familiar with church life, you've been here a long time. I want to let you know that these altars here, these steps down here, are wide open when we sing. If you need to come and and just kneel down and pray for a few minutes and receive grace into your life and maybe receive strength, be challenged to give something over to the Lord. We want to make that available to you. If you're in here today and you say, I, you know, I'm visiting, I don't know Christ, I'm not sure about all of this, but I want more information. I want to encourage you that when this service is over, please see me, talk with me or Jamie or Brian, one of our deacons. We want to talk to you and help you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. We'll walk with you all the days that you're here, that you might be conformed to the image of Jesus. Maybe you're here today. You've been coming for some time, visiting with us. You know Christ is your Savior. You've been baptized. And you know that you need to be a part of a body of Christ that is living for Him and sharing the Gospel with the community.